Good evening, LCM. Tonight is June 22nd, 2023. Wow. And the title of our sermon is Worthy. Family, let's dive straight into the scriptures and let the scripture direct our thoughts about this message tonight. Hey, what's the title of today's message? Okay. Psalm 111, picking up in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Scripture says, with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Come on. This is not a suggestion. It says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright. Where are we, church? All right, so we're not going to hesitate, and we're going to do it right now. Father of glory, we will thank you for your presence among us. Father, we thank you for your redeeming hand. You have seen us. You have saw, you saw us when we were not worthy of anything, Father. You stuck your hand into our midst, into our fire. You redeemed us and you purchased us for yourself, Father. Today we are grateful for you. We're grateful for your purposes, your plans, Father. How you continue to work inside of us. How you continue to refine everything that we are. How you continue to give us vision, Father, and to reflect you more. Father, we thank you for this body of people that you have put us in. We, we only have gratefulness towards you because you have been a good God to us. You are a powerful and mighty God that we, are, um, that we are joyful, Father, and grateful to serve. We elevate your name, Father. We exalt you tonight, and we ask you that you would take this night and make it yours completely in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Verse 2. Great are the works or the deeds of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. Man. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Man. Starting this message, we didn't want to start with something clever. We just wanted to start with who he is. His wisdom is unfathomable. His greatness is beyond our own com- our comparison. His power is undeniable in anything he does. You know, he designed life. He designed the intricacies of life. The intricacies of everybody in this place. How it works together. How it's been engineered by a masterful hand, by a masterful mind. His work is perfect. He, finds ba- he is the one that installed balance in nature, in your body. He's the one that put the eyes on your head where they're supposed to be. Not, not in your knee, by the way. He is wondrous. He is perfect and he is majestic. In addition to all that, he, his works in our lives are wondrous. They're great. They're amazing. Can you think back however long you've been born again or however long you've been alive? How he has been with you. How he has made things instrumental to work for your good. How he has continually been showing you his favor. Elevating you. Raising you up. Causing you to be strengthened. Even even when you were going astray, he was still faithful to you. Come on. His His works are wondrous. Everything that he does. He has been my God. He has been my redeemer. He has been my leader. He has been my protector. He has been my provider. I delight in his works. Therefore, we study them. We go back and remember everything that he has done. It reveals who he is. It reveals his character. I go back and see who he has been. And it encourages me. It elevates me. It gives me hope. It gives me vision for the future. You did it then. You continue to do it. I have hope for tomorrow. I study, we study his works and we remember what he has done. And you know what? We don't take for granted what the Father has done. He has done way too much for us in this moment to take for granted his mighty hand. How he has worked in our lives. I don't take it for granted. And it actually moves us. It causes us to to be stirred because we remember those works. The Father's works are amazing. Isn't that what we've talked about since we've been on a stage? The Father's works are amazing. They inspire. They propel. 
They revive. They reinvigorate. When we come to grips with the God that has performed all these mighty works, you know what happens? That revelation of who he is, it grips us. It takes control of us, and we can't help but praise him. We can't help but move to perform the mighty deeds that he has done for us. The same things that he has done for us, that is what we can't help but do for the world around us. We have the option to act or not to act. But what are you going to do, LCM? You are a church of action. In our hearts, it feels like we have no other option. We must do what God has told us to do. I must go on to the third day and I will reach my goal. So you may remember this verse from Foundations uh, teaching on Tuesday, but just in case you didn't, we're going to go back to it. Acts 18 in the NET. That'll be the swish. 18.5. Perfect form, Nick. Now, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul became wholly absorbed. Say wholly absorbed. Wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word of God. Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Paul responded to the works of God by becoming God's instrument for God to continue to perform more works. We respond to the works of God and what he has done by becoming the same instruments that he is using to do the same for others. That is, having been a recipient of such great salvation, Paul's reaction is to now become the conduit and the instrument of this great salvation for others. So he becomes wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word. And this is because the word and the testimony is Christ and it's God's power for salvation. That is what he was doing. When we consider these works, when we consider what he has done for us, it must make you a secure bridegroom. It has to make you a secure bridegroom in who he's called you to be. He finds his bride. He doesn't just act. He found his bride. He first proclaims the words of exactly what he will do. And then he follows up and completely fulfills his word. That is who he is. He is a good father and he's a good groom. You catch that? The, the groom doesn't just act. The groom first proclaims, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then he goes and accomplishes it. Yeah. Much like every groom that stood in this stage to proclaim what he's going to do for his bride. And then he goes and does it. Let's go to Exodus 6 verse 6. says, say, we're going to be on the ESV unless we tell you to change. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the, the Egyptians. Man, this is beautiful. It's like the father saw a slave girl, right? And saw her and then said, I am going to make you into a bride. I am going to make you, I saw you in your slavery, and now I'm going to make you into a worthy bride. The redemption of the bride involved the revelation of who he was. Of the Father. He says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. Come over and meet your groom. Like the bold and secure groom that he is, he proclaimed these things. He proclaimed that he would bring him out. That he proclaimed that he would deliver them. He proclaimed that he would redeem them. That is that he would pay the price for their redemption. That he would purchase them. Because we are in debt. We are in sin. And a debt needed to be paid. Yeah. He paid with the firstborn blood. He paid with the blood of the firstborn. And our slave master has no, doesn't have any authority over us anymore because the debt has been paid. Amen. And once he brought us out, delivered from the one that wanted to keep us attached to him. Because you might have said, okay, I'm going to go out. He's calling out. I'm going to go follow him. But what does the slave master try to do? He tries to go, hey, you're not leaving me. You're not leaving me. So what he does is he delivers me. He sinks the chariots. Then he, he pays the price with the, with the blood of the firstborn. And then he brings me to himself. He consecrates us as a bride. He says, you shall know me. You shall know that I am your God. You shall know me as your husband. 
and you shall and I shall know you as my possession, as my bride. We shall be one. This was the word that he proclaimed to the Israelites, and it is the word that he has fulfilled and continues to fulfill. He proclaimed to Israel that he would redeem them or purchase them, and he fulfilled his word. Isn't that amazing? Yes. That's, that's the God that we serve. That is the groom to whom we are betrothed to. Church, what was the title of Sunday's sermon? What was the title of Sunday's sermon? There we go. Amen. Today's title is worthy, but Sunday's sermon was purchased for God. So on that subject, we're going to revisit a passage that the pastors brought up. That is going to be Revelation 5, starting in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the worship team basically sang the message. A worthy groom appeared in heaven at this point. He was worthy to open the marriage and title deed to his bride because he had been slain. Nobody took his life. He offered his life and was slain. He was, he is, and will be the righteousness and spotless groom who laid his life down to redeem and purchase his bride. Isn't that what husbands in the room? Isn't that what you've done? Haven't you pledged to lay your life down to purchase your bride to redeem her again and again and again? He redeemed his bride, not with perishable things. You know what 1 Peter says, but with his own precious blood. The ultimate price was paid. There was nothing more precious that could have been offered to redeem his bride other than his blood. The cost of what he paid with determined the value of what he purchased. Let's refresh that in our mind. His, value, his blood sets your value. His blood sets our value as the body of Christ who he redeemed, who he paid for. It. His blood said it. His blood was precious. It determined the value of his bride. The bride was not worthy at the time. But the bride was precious to him. So the worthy groom laid down his life for the unworthy but very precious bride. If he shed his precious blood, what does he say about you? Come on. Yeah. You remember? <laughs> say it again, Hayes. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> you're precious, Ginger Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. He shed his precious blood. And that meant that we are precious in his sight. That didn't mean that we were worthy. That meant that we were precious. Come on. The worthiness was something to be determined later. Now, let's think about this, husbands and wives. Oh, come on. Husbands, has your wife ever asked you if you loved her? Yeah. Maybe after a correction. <laughs> has she ever been insecure of your love for her? Well... It could be because of some insecurities that need to be removed. But I'm talking to husbands. The son of God, the perfect groom, laid his, his life down to show, to demonstrate his love for his bride. That is what secured his bride in his arms. Secured the love that he had for her. No greater love has a man than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. He secured the love for his wife in how he laid his life down. Oh, that is good. Yeah. That's, better, that's better than you're acting like. Okay. For husbands. Husbands, have you ever struggled with this in your marriage? Maybe it's time to lay your life down again. Yes. Maybe it's time for you to sacrifice yourself to make her holy, blameless, and spotless. Maybe that'll fix our marriages. But we're not going to let the wives get off the hook, though. No, no, no. Get it, brother. Wives. If your husband does indeed lay down his life to sanctify you, do you really have a basis for insecurity? If your husband lays down his life to sanctify do, think about you, do you have a basis for insecurity? No, you do not. The groom has paid the price and he's continually paying the price to sanctify you. Let's continue to expand on what the death of this worthy groom was intended to produce. Let's go to Romans 6, starting in verse 6. 
Because he did lay down his life, but it means something about us. Yeah. Verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So he purchased us. He redeemed us. He brought us out. He delivered us. But it also means something about us. The son died a literal death, carrying my own sins so that I would no longer have to be enslaved by them. He died so that I would no longer identify with my old master, Satan, and my old sinful nature. That's why he carried his sins on his body. My old master does no longer have any claim on, claim on me. He, he cannot accuse me. I've been purchased and I've been cleansed. I'm not longer under the possession of an old master. I'm not longer a slave to an old master. I am free from, an old, from, my, from my old master. And it's for freedom that he has set me free. Having been set free of his dominion, what it means is that the only way back to being enslaved if, it's if I willingly put myself in that place of slavery. There is no way that he can come and lay a burden against me or lay an accusation against me. He can't. The Son of God has paid the price. But I have an option. I have an option to either consider myself dead with him because he died and took my sins. Or going back and running back to my slave master. Say so not going to do it. Not going to do it. Let's continue on verse 9. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider. You must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must reckon yourselves dead to it. He died under the weight of my sins. So that I would not have to die, but reckon myself dead with him to my sins. Through his death, he has delivered me from my slave driver. But I must also reckon myself dead along with him. Oh, not only do I must, must I reckon myself dead to sin, but I also, also must reckon myself alive to Christ. You know that. You have to put something off, but it's incomplete if you only put something off. You have to put on what he has told you to. That is Christ. In the same way, I not only reckon myself dead to sin, I am also alive to Christ. Not only have I been set free from Satan and the sin that reigned in me, I was also placed under the dominion of the righteous king and praise the king that we serve. There is power in a people. As a matter of fact, there is power in you, LCM, that don't take for granted the preciousness of the blood that was shed to purchase them. There is power in a people. The people of LCM who reckoned themselves dead to sin that they, because they were delivered through that their blood. There is power in the people who reckon themselves alive to their groom. And we want you to get that with us. We want you to engage with us tonight. Reckon yourselves dead to your old nature. Amen. Dead to that which was not consecrated, but alive to the new consecrated form of you that is Jesus Christ inside you. In fact, Israel, as the bride of God, experienced the power of a bride that has been purchased by this powerful groom. As she walked through the desert while following her husband, she was faced with many perils, many trials, many struggles. And as long as she remained under the authority of the groom, she also remained covered by the power of the groom. Let's go to Numbers 23.8. And this is coming up in the Berean Study Bible. The BSB. <laughs> yeah. How can I curse what God has not cursed? How can I denounce what the Lord has not denounced? For I see them from atop the rocky cliffs, and I watch them from the hills. Behold, a people dwelling apart, not reckoning themselves among the nations. Who spoke this? Balaam. Balaam spoke this after trying to Find a way to curse the people of God. Balaam sought God various times. Hey, you know, and, and God every time responded, no, they are my people. You ain't going to curse them. No. All right? No. You ain't. He couldn't. You, why, why couldn't he? Because they were God's possession. 
they were not, they were not like a free tribe walking in the desert with nowhere, no, no authority over them, no husband with them. Their husband had possession over them. Their husband had redeemed them. And he was in the process of consecrating them. He was bringing them in clothes. Her, their husband was over them. And he could not curse them. He had no power to curse them. Such people who have been redeemed by God cannot be cursed. Devil, the devil has no power over them. But not only did he redeem them, he set them apart so that they would not reckon themselves oh, that's big as right part there. of the nations. What, what, does it, what does it mean that he redeemed you? He set you apart, right? Yeah. He, he bought you. He brought you to himself. Oh, y'all better talk to us. Yeah. Right? But this verse says that they wouldn't reckon themselves among the nations. It takes a response. The groom says, come. The groom says, you are mine. The groom says, I have purchased you. But the bride needs to respond saying, I reckon myself yours. And I don't reckon myself among the nations. I don't reckon myself as one of them. I am yours. And that's what we were saying. There's power in such a statement. There's power in walking in a way that says, hey, I am not like that. I am not of the world. There's power in saying, I have an authority over my head. I am not single. I have been married to my God. And he is my authority. He determines. He protects me. He leads me. And to him, I give an account. It is him that I serve. It is him that I follow. There is power in a declaration that says, I reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to him. This is, this is glorious. This is the, the path of a bride that has been redeemed, but it doesn't end there. From Exodus 6, we read that he redeemed and purchased us so that we would be consecrated as his bride. Not just redeemed us, he brings us to a place where we would be consecrated as the bride of our groom. Yeah. Let's go to Exodus 29, verse 42. Yeah. So when he purchased you, you hadn't put any, any work in yet. Right? It was his pleasure. Say it's my pleasure. It was his pleasure to purchase you. Because he knew what he, what he put inside you. He knew the worth and the value. When we say precious, we're not talking about a, a nice, pretty blonde girl with pigtails. Oh, she's just precious. We're talking about the preciousness of a ruby that is worth millions. That is worth a, a, a great amount to the king. That is the, the worth with which he put on you when he purchased you. But he doesn't just leave you in an unrefined state. He doesn't just leave you as a rough clump of jewels. He refines you. And that's what we're going to talk about in Exodus 29. Exodus 29, 42. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. Where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Sanctified by his glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve as my priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. So, again, how is the bride being sanctified? It's by his glory that the bride is being sanctified. His glory is what's setting you apart. It's his work in you that's doing it. Amen. You didn't even know to be convicted about sin before his, his spirit entered into you and convicted you about it. It's saying, hey, this must be, be, you must separate from this. He doesn't sanctify you by proclaiming a few words about you or sprinkling some water on you. He sanctifies you by his glory. It is when the glory of the Lord comes to rest upon a people that they are sanctified. The groom sanctifies his bride and they become one. Say one with me. That's going to be important as we, can, as we move forward. The groom doesn't just bring his bride close. He envelops her with his glory. He covers her. That is how she is set apart. The end result of such proximity to his glory is that his, his bride reflects him fully. He is not pushing you away. He is actually pulling you closer to him. You understand that? When you are being sanctified, set apart, he is not pushing you away. He is bringing you close until you reflect him completely. What's more is that he's not just pulling you close, but the end result is that he makes you like him. 
He's not just bringing you close. He's actually making you like him. A perfect reflection what every husband and wife should be. In this way, we are and we have to love this foundation of consecration that he has shown us. We have to love that he is consecrating and sanctifying the nature that he already put inside us, the one that he purchased before we did anything. And he is working to bring us to himself to make us like him. Let's go to Malachi 3 to get a better picture of what this looks like. Do you get that the consecration happens as his glory comes to rest upon you? His consecration, his sanctification, his purification of you happens by his refining fire. Come on. By his glory. That's how it happened in uh, Mount Sinai. That's how, that's how it happened at the tent of meeting. That's how it happened at the temple. That is how it happened in Acts in the, in, in the Feast of Shavuot. His fire and his glory comes to consecrate us. Malachi 3, starting in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Who's able to endure the coming of the Lord? Well, let me tell you who is able to. His bride is able to. The wicked are not able to. Wait for it. The wicked are per- perish in, when he comes. The wicked are burned up by his fire. But his bride, his bride is refined. His bride is refined by the presence of the groom. Not destroyed, but purified. When the groom's glory comes close, gets really close, really hot, they become really one. Man, that means refinement. That means God is closer than you thought before. When things are, when, when your draws in the pure and precious metal that you are starts coming out and starts boiling up and, and things that you thought were, are evil start coming out of you, that's not because God is further from you. That, that's because God is closer to you. Praise the Lord. Because God's presence is coming upon you and he will not leave you as you are. He will not leave all the draws in the midst of that precious, precious metal that you are. God's glory comes and consecrates, refines, and purifies because you are precious to him. He has redeemed you with his blood, and he's not going to leave you as a tainted metal. He's going to make you a purified metal. This is a beautiful concept that has been uh, opening our eyes to how much we should love this uh, refining and consecrating process. We've never seen this like this. Answer me this. He said he was a refiner of what? A refiner of gold and silver. Was he refining dirt? No. So if he's refining you, you know what that means? You're not dirt. You are precious metal in the hands of a refiner, and he is working his divinity and his redemption into you, inside you. It's not a sign that he is pushing you away. It's a sign that he is bringing you close. If he is the one who picked what he was going to refine, like he chose, hey, I'm getting ready to refine this. Don't you think he knows how to do it? Don't you think he knows how to handle you? Hey, that potter knows what he's doing with the clay, all right? He knows how to shape it. He knows how to form it. He knows how to work his design inside you so that you reflect him perfectly. And that is what he's doing. You might have some dirt in you, spiritually speaking. As a matter of fact, you do. Just, I do. Let's talk about me. Aim it at me. But you see what he's doing here? He's refining the Levites for the sole purpose that they would bring offerings in righteousness. When he's refining things in you, it's so that you would bring offerings of righteousness. He wants you, the way that, as we engage with this, he wants you to look back at the product of your life and be proud of it. Godly sorrow ends in no regret. He wants you to be proud of what's come of your life. Therefore, he refines you. He cultivates you. He consecrates you. But let's talk about something else. Pick up with us in verse verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, 
against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I just want to stop there for a second. Is that any of you in this place? No. Say no. If it is, stand up and repent. If it's not, then say it boldly. No. All right. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Come on. Man, the refining process is a beautiful thing because it allows us to uh, participate in the service of, of the king, in the service of the groom. And at the same time that, this, that these things have, are, are arising in us, okay, it's letting us know that our groom is very active in our lives. Yeah. It's letting us know that we are not like those sorcerers and, and the ones who oppress and the, and the, ones, the wicked ones. We are his precious bride that yeah. he's bringing closer, bringing closer and closer to him. You know how I know that? Because you're here. Because you're being refined. And I, I get that this, this could be a little bit of a so we're going to help you work through this. At the same time that there, there, there is refinement taking place, and that is beautiful. It's a beautiful process. There are things that have no place in his dominion. There are things that just don't belong. So what do we mean by this? There is your God-given design that rightly must be cultivated. Like, he, he put a God-given design in you like the pastors talked about on Sunday. He, he put his, his character in you in very specific ways. And it must be refined so that it shines. That, that process needs to take place. That is our groom loving us. That is him making us like himself. That is him bringing us to himself. But also, there are these other things. Say there are these, these other things. I'm talking about the lies. I'm talking about the taunts. I'm talking about whatever it is that keeps you from being who God has called you to be and doing what God has called you to do. We have to learn how to rightly deal with these things. It's pastor and my wife, and she's bringing an issue to me, right? I'm like, okay, no, I can see that. that that's addressing in the ball in you. Amen. God's refining that. But this right here that's seeking to, to rob your worth, that's seeking to deflate you from actually doing what, what God has called you to do, no. That is like a sorcerer. That's like an adulterer. That does not belong, and that's not who you are. This is who you are. You are the one who is being refined so that you can bring offerings of righteousness. See, now, the problem that we, uh, we engage with in this process is when we try to push away from that refinement, we try to push away from what God is doing in this manner, it's likely because we're doing this. We're conflating the two. Y'all know what conflating means? It means when you, you, you mix two things up. You, you're mixing one issue with another issue. You are confusing what God is rightly refining, what he is working inside you, with the things that need to be done away with. It's why the pastors told us uh, Sunday, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Husbands, there are things in your wives that actually need to be refined. Encourage her in that. Cultivate her. Give her scriptures. But there are things that the enemy is telling her that she's just not. That's not true. Those are the things that have no place in God's kingdom, and he is putting them down. That is a groom who fights for his bride, and he is fighting for you, LCM. He is fighting for your righteous and holy and godly design to shine before the world to give him glory. So he's not going to allow these sorcerers. He's not going to allow these taunts, these lies in you. He's going to separate you from them, and he's going to cause you to shine through his refinement. You know what the pastor said on, uh, on Sunday was, Deeply uh, moving. When you talk about mind a ball and you think about a, an insatiable nature yep. inside of me, well, that can be a detriment absolutely to my walk with Christ. All right? But then when the fire of God comes to my house, when the presence of God and the glory gets really close, you know how that's transformed? Now I have an insatiable nature that will not stop until the kingdom goes forward. I'm breaking every wall that tries to oppose the moving of the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the word of God, the peace of God. I cannot stop. I'm insatiable and I want more of that to be manifested. He, that's what happens when he comes and gets really close to you. When what, with his glory he consecrates. He shows the draws that needed to be removed. But then he shows you how, who you are, and your perfect design is actually, was actually meant to work for his glory. Because his glory is the one that is consecrating it. 
You are designed by the God of heaven and earth. Yep. The one that did not make a mistake. And right now, as he's drawing close to you, he's purifying us. He's causing our design to be absolutely consecrated for his purposes. Yeah. So in high school, they asked me, hey, what, what do you want to do with your life? Right? And I'm not a liar. So I'm like, I want to help people. Right? And then they forced me, like, no, 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 what do you want to do with your life? I'm like, do you really want, to ask, want me to answer the question? I stood up and I said, okay, I'm Justin Linton and I want to make money. I said what I really wanted to do. I wanted to help people. That's what God put inside me. But you know what that looked like unconsecrated? You know what it looked like unrefined? I was an enabler. Yeah, I helped people. I made them feel good about their sin. I made them feel good about continuing to walk in a, in a, in a, a kind of life that actually kept them chained and bound. And I didn't actually help them. But I made them feel good about themselves. You know what it looked like refined? You know what it looks like now? I'm called to set people free from the, the effects of sin and anchor them to the hope in Christ. And you know how that's come about? Because my God has continually refined me. He has brought me near. He purchased me back then. He knew what he put inside me back then. And then he brought me near to refine me so that I would reflect him and I would function as he wants me to in this world. That is what you are called to do. That is what God wants to do with you. Purdy, that's what God wants to do with you, buddy. He wants to take the nature that he put inside you, the things that he already put inside you, and he wants to refine it so that you become for him a, a, a mouthpiece for the world. You become to him an instrument that he can use for his glory. That is what you're called to. So doesn't it make you want to run into the refinement? Doesn't it make you long for the consecration process because you know that he's not pushing you away? He's actually pulling you closer. He's making you like him, and he's elevating you to your God-given design. Man, it makes me want to run headlong into it. And that's what he wants for us tonight. He wants us to walk away with the confidence knowing that this process that we are undergoing, because you know this, but I'll go ahead and state it. Consecration is a process. It's not a one-day thing. It's not a, a, a one really bad one day and hope that it, I'm, poof, I'm transformed. No, it's a process, but you can have confidence because he purchased something precious. He is refining it, refining it, and he will make it shine the way that he intended to. And you can have confidence because the Father does not stop. Come on. You can, ha you can have confidence because he is a worthy groom. A worthy groom that will not stop and leave his works incomplete. He will not leave you halfway. He will not say, hey, I'm done with you, Memo. That's, that's, you know, that's as far as not you go. He, he goes until the end. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. It, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you Come completely. Come on. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 is key. He, he, call, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Yes, he'll do Man. it. If you didn't like the refinement, bad news for you. If you like the refinement, this is awesome news for you. Yeah. He will complete the refinement of his bride. There's a certainty to our purification. There's a certainty. He's not done with me. I can still find things inside of me. So I know that he's working in my life. He's still drawing me close and closer to him. He's defeating uh, despair by separating the things that is, are sinful in me. He's the one that is causing the divide. Showing me what is right and what is not. Showing me what is his and what is mine. Showing me what is sinful and what is righteous. He's still doing that purification and he's not stopping anytime soon. Come on. Right refinement. When, the, when he comes with his glory. Hey, anybody want God's glory? Yes. That's what I've cried out for my entire life. I just didn't know it required refinement when that happens. I, Show me your glory. Yeah, bring your glory. That's bring your heat. Bring your refinement. We want it. But in, you know why we want it? It's an evidence that he is still, uh, that we are still betrothed to him. That we are still his. That we are still his redeemed. There are evidence that we are his. We are his possession. I want that refinement. Just like... The Bible talks about discipline. It is evidence that we are God's sons. I want that. It speaks of who he is to me and of who I am to him. Godly sorrow, when he brings these things up, will lead you to action and will leave no, no regret inside of us. It will cause us to move to action 
and not action for ourselves. It will be an action that perpetuates what was done for us as we do it for others. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 17. It says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Man. You know, he's talk, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about husband and wives. And here he brings it to, to, the husband, to the groom that we have. He says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one. Not one flesh, one spirit with him. So he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Man, your body is the housing, the host, the host, the house that is hosting the presence of God. Wow. We are not, you are not your own. I said, we are, there's power in people who knows that we are not our own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. When we become one with Him in spirit, and He draws close like He drew close to Mount Sinai, like He, grew, like he drew close to the Israelites as He brought His glory upon the ark, and He shined among them, and He purified the Levites for works of service. He, they were becoming one with Him in spirit. In Shavuot, they became one with God in spirit. We are men and women filled with the spirit of God. Hosting and housing the presence of God that refines, that purifies who we are. Refines the bride that we are to Him. So glorify God in your own body. Glorify Him with all your actions. Glorify Him with your words. Glorify Him with what you set your hands to work at. Glorify Him with every breath that you have. Glorify Him with everything that you are. You are not your own. I am not my own. So He were bought at a price. The price was precious blood. We are precious and we are going to move. We are moving in that direction. We're moving in the fact that I am saying to myself every day, I am not my own. I'm declaring with my words, I am not my own. I was purchased at a price. I am His, and His only, and Him I will obey. Say this with me. Say, I'm free to. I'm refined to. We're getting ready to point you at the target. We've talked a lot, about, a lot about what God has done in you, but we're getting ready to point you to the target. And what you've heard so far is important. It's the foundation, but it's not the goal. We've talked a lot about identity and the fact that he purchases. And that is good. We must do it. Wives, doesn't it? Doesn't it make your heart melt when you, when you realize that your husband redeemed you, he purchased you, he bought you with a price, and he didn't just do it on your wedding day, he's continuing to do it over and over again? Does, does, that, does that cause you to, to draw near him and to run after him? The Lord's done the same in you. Come on, girl. The Lord's done the same in you. You know, it's Miss Lou's uh, fourth wedding anniversary today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, got lucky with that one. We talked about how we can glory in the fact that he is refining us, not destroying us. Can you glory in that fact? Can you glory in the fact that we're, as you are being refined, you can realize that, no, this is not God pushing me out of his presence. This is, he draw, this is him drawing me near and separating the dirt, separating the filth so that I can be in his presence and worship full of joy, full of confidence and full of admiration for what he's done. That is what he's doing. But it's still not the target. It is strengthening, but it's not the target. This is the target. In addition to and building on all these things, we have a question for you. What is coming from your consecrated life? What is it producing? Well, since you asked, since you answered in your heart, I'm going to tell you what the scripture says about it. For the purchased and redeemed bride in the city of Sardis in Revelation 3, the groom was faithful to refiner. And we're going to learn about what he desired and what he got from that refinement. What God has done for you. Turn to Revelation 3. What God has done for you in purchasing you, in refining you, it was always aimed at you reflecting him for people outside of yourself. 
It was always aimed at the actions that would come from you rightly recognizing that you are, you are uh, mated to him, you are with him, and you reflect him, you are like him on this earth. That, that is what it was always aimed at. In Revelation 3, picking up in verse 1, and the angel of the church of Sardis write, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in my sight, in the sight of my God. That's a chilling statement for a groom to say, is it not? I know your works. I know your deeds. And yet I have not found them complete. He knew the works. They weren't without works. He did not rebuke them for, for the great sins that they were in. You don't. You don't see a mention of sins here. What he says and what he did was brought correction because she had been a bride that at some point had works. But at this point where he's refining her, she's lacking some works or better yet, the deeds have not been completed. But that's not all that he said. Amen. Go. Let's go with us to uh, verse four. Are you are you catching with are you trailing with us? Her deeds were not complete. He knew their works, but they were not complete. Verse 4. This is hopeful. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. worthy. Say it again. Worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So among a church in, Char in, in Sardis that had some works back in the past, right? Had a reputation for being alive because she had been hard at work, but now was dead. There were still a people who were quite well alive doing the works and completing the works that was set for them. They had not soiled their garments, not with sins, but they had not soiled their garments with stopping to do the work. Oh, we normally think about, hey, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, what is that to you? Sin. All right. So it does contaminate, it does soil our garments if we stop the works. Yet among them, there were some people who had not done this. And he said, hey, they have not sold their garments. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. You remember that he's a worthy man a worthy son of God that laid his life down for a bride that was not worthy. She was not worthy, but she was precious. So he redeemed her. So he consecrated her. And then she took that consecration and what, she, what did she do? She put herself to work. She, she became a reflection of her groom. She started working just like him. Doing the things that she did. That he did. He reflected him. She reflected him perfectly, completing the works that she needed to complete. The master was at work. The master was the one that said, I will run and I will accomplish the work that the father has given me to do. So she did the same. Her works were not, did not stop in, somewhere in between, somewhere at half. Her works were completed. This was the bride that Jesus says would walk with him in white. And, and bride that would never have her name removed from the book of life. A bride of whom Jesus would confess her name before his father. A bride that has devoted herself. Not to reflect him just with words. Not to reflect him with, with just you know, being there. A reflection that is based on actions that reflect the actions of the groom. Until she completes all the works that he had said for her. This is who you've, you've been called to be, LCM. Yeah. This is who you are. Better yet. Let me fix that. This is who you are. We sang that, that, that song, By His Blood. By His Blood. Well, that's not just a song. That's who you are. By His Blood, you have been purchased. Through His process of consecration, you have been redeemed. But redeemed for what? Purchased for what? You have been redeemed, so the very same things that He has done... You will do, and you are doing. 
You will see people who God wants to purchase. You will see the precious things that God wants to refine inside them, and you will bring them to yourself. You will help them and partner with them as they are being consecrated so that they can do the very same things. That is who you're called to be, LCM. You will complete your deeds. And if you heard Revelation uh, 3 and you, your, your heart kind of fluttered like, oh, man, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't be the, 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 first, the first section, the first group. Well, praise God, you're not dead yet. If there's, a, if there's an incomplete deed, if there's something that needs to be taken to completion, guess what? Run to it. You can. You get to. You're free to. You're refined to. He has purchased you to go and do it. Go with us to Psalm 119 as we begin to head towards a close. Psalm 119, pick it up in verse 59. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I mean, I've considered my ways, my past, and how I did not earn this current station in life or this ministry that you've given me, God. I've considered the glory of being purchased by you, God. I've considered your goodness and refinement and you, how you're making me one with you. Say, but now. but now. Now, verse 60. I will hasten and will not delay to obey your commands. Church, the decree was issued long ago. He gave this decree originally to Israel. He called them to himself. He purchased them out of slavery. He refined them through the desert. He washed them. He sanctified them. And he gave them his word saying, hey, you go and take my word and live it. You literally live by my word. And by this, you will bless all nations. They will see you and give glory to me. And you know what? It's been done. The church of Acts uh, began this process. It was, it was lying inside Israel, and they began this process, and they expanded out to every corner of the known world. But guess what? They did their part. Now he's purchased you. Now he's sanctified and consecrated you. He's refined you, and he's saying, hey, everything that I've done for you, I'm now pointing the target. It's for them. It's for them. You, that you would take the consecration and the things that I've refined in you, you would take your God-given design, and that you would put that to work on the earth. That is what he's called you to be. What we're learning to do is to run to do this, to not wait, to not contemplate, to not sit and wonder if maybe I should step up and do what God has made me to do. No, this is a matter of life and death to us. It's a matter of life and death for me to run into the middle of a plague and say, no, I'm the one called to stand in between the living and the dead. And you know what? Lives are saved. For the people of God, it's not just a matter of life and death. As a matter of fact, it is a, a certainty of life. It's a certainty that you, when you walk in your God-given function that's been purchased, that's been refined, when you walk in that, you will save many lives. God will use you to bring and spread his kingdom out on the earth. You know that the word says the kingdom has been spreading since the time of John? As dark as things are, the word says the kingdom has been spreading. Well, you know what? You know who he's using to do that? He's using you. He's put his character and his name on you, and he said, holy to the Lord, now go and show them who I am. That is what you're called to be. Proverbs 3, 27 says, do not withhold from those who, to whom it is due. When, is your, when it is in your power to do it. Church, it is in your power to do it. It is, your, it is in your power to go and to stand in between the living and the dead and proclaim the word of God and give them a choice to choose. Hey, do you want life? Do you want this resurrection power? Well, come. Come and receive. Come and drink without cost. That is in your power to do. And the Lord is saying, rise up my church. Rise up my body and show the world who I am through you. So clearly the answer to the question of what is coming out of our consecration must be actions. Must be actions that reflect the same actions that the groom performed for us. Nothing less, nothing tainted the exact same actions that he performed for us, we go and do for others. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Christ's, loves, Christ's love compels us. It is not anything else that compels us. This, what has been done for you as a bride, 
you go do for those who will be his bride. That kind of love that he has shown you, nothing less is what ought to be shown to others. It is so that by walking in our godly and consecrated design, life would come in the same way that life has come from you. Our actions when consecrated bring the exact same life that he has brought out of ourselves. It's a certainty. Say it's a certainty. It's a certainty certainty that when a bride that has been purchased, consecrated, filled with the Holy Spirit, and is compelled by the same Spirit and same love of Christ, and goes and devotes herself to those same actions, she will bear fruit. She will follow up in the same character of her groom and produce the same fruit that he himself bore. We don't regard others from a worldly point of view. What does that mean right now? Well, it means that if we look at anyone here, we don't look at the flesh and what our eyes start to lie about who they are. We don't look at the things that we ourselves have determined that are wrong, but are really not draws among them. We actually see what is truly draws and act like the refiner's fire that God is in us to produce the pure metal among our brothers. To see beyond the draws and see the pure metal that is in that, is in each one of us. We, if we, we do it with among us, and then we also do it, we practice here and we go perform it out there. We go into the world where there is not just draws, it's like a thick coat of draws in that pure metal. Cold. And you can see what's underneath. But you still go die and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You're still compelled by the same love that was shown to you. And we go do the exact same works that our groom shown to us. We don't regard them from a worldly point of view. We lay our lives down like our groom did. Because that is what a bride does. A bride follows up and reflects her husband with worthy actions because she is worthy by her actions jesus says you give them something to eat you go do it i have been doing it i have shown you how to do it i have walked with you empowered you led you taught you you have seen me do it now he says you give them something to eat when you enter into a town search for worthy persons but search and the search is not like well Let's see what happens. Go search. Go work. Go find. Go see. Go ask. Go knock. Search for a worthy person and see who will receive your peace. At work, see who will receive the peace that you have. The life that you have. Wherever you go, seek. And I tell you, you shall find. We are certain that as we go, life will be produced. We are the bride of Christ. No one else has this responsibility. We were purchased and redeemed. We boast in our redemption. That precious blood was shed for us. We boast in our sanctification. He came and glorified with His glory and literally indwelt me, filled me, caused me to be His own. We boast about these things. But there's one thing that we must continue to pursue and that is to be worthy by our actions as we reflect our precious husband. Stand up with us. I'm certain that as Nolan Hewitt stands up and walks in his godly design, people are going to be lit on fire for the heart of God. I'm certain that as Jaron Snell stands up and walks in his godly design, the word of God will be taught and people will be benefited by it. We are certain that as you stand up and walk in the calling that God gave you, not anybody else, Josiah, the one that he gave you, the nature that he put inside you, that lives are going to be benefited by it. A worthy bride is one that reflects her groom by her actions. We are the bride of a daring, bold, courageous, and powerful groom. A bride that is secure and consecrated by her groom and was not meant to be safe, not meant to be timid or fearful. Instead, we are a bride that is daring in faith, bold in convictions, courageous in actions, and who moves in powerful deeds and completes them. We run to action. You run to action. We run to quickly stand in between the living and the dead. We don't hesitate to bring the same life that he brought us. Hesitating in action, it only prolongs death. But you know what? We're not even worried about that. 
because we are certain that we're going to be those who run to function in our God-given calling and life is going to flow from it. Shalom is going to flow from it. Disciples will be built up. Homes will be repaired. Marriages will be restored. And we're going to see the, the nations taken for Jesus Christ. So knowing that, knowing that you've been purchased, knowing that the, the consecration and the refinement is bringing, him near you, near, bringing you near to him, knowing that the reason for that all, the reason for that consecration is the target, which is those around you, man, we're going to worship our king. We're going to worship our king with a certainty that says, hey, when I walk out of this place, knowing who I am, I'm going to stand up and function in the calling that God gave me. I'm going to stand and do what my mezuzah says to do. I'm going to walk in it and life is going to flow from it. Amen. Worship with us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the perfect design that you've given us. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for your consecrating works inside us. And we thank you, Lord God, that as we do it, we're going to see this place grow. We're going to see your kingdom grow and be established on the earth, Lord God. We worship you because we must go. We worship you because we must do these things, mighty God. Our heart is burning inside us, Lord God, calling us and driving us to move forward. We say yes, mighty God, right now.